Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 5 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Two Events. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Well, I see there were some that changed their clocks. There's some here that remembered. There's many that remembered and still didn't change their clocks. It's good to see you this morning as we, it takes us just a little while to get adjusted, doesn't it? You wouldn't think an hour makes that much difference, but if anybody knows what jet lag is, you can, it makes a difference, doesn't it? And uh, well, as we begin our, our teaching today, I want to, uh, uh, we need to consider all that's happening in the world today. There's a lot going on in our world. And, uh, you know, I understand that we have, um, there's so much going on in the world, but we're also living in a day that we've got cell phones and we got computers and we got all this stuff that we can get the information of what all is going on in the world today. I know many people think that's bad. I think it's good. Uh, I think it is what it is. And, uh, it would, it would have to be to God that he's not caught off guard. He knew that this information would be uh, shared around the world in a moment's time, in an in instant. And I think it plays into the end times also how perhaps even the whole world will see him at his second coming. We'll all see him. And uh, there's a... There's a difference uh, before the whole world couldn't see. You know, we used to say, well, we had TV, so now everybody could see. And and then uh, we got cell phones, and we thought, well, yeah, every, every, it's, that's, it's even coming up a little closer. Everybody could see uh, if the Lord came. And uh, uh, But now uh, Elon Musk went around and made it complete. He's now shot satellites all over the uh, the lower atmosphere or, or lower space or whatever, to where your cell phone will, shortly will be able to work uh, from anywhere on the planet. And uh, that's just, it's just amazing. I think he's supposed to have, I don't know, eight, 900 satellites sometime or another. I think he's got about half that many up there now. And so we're really and truly not far off, you know, it, I would think it'd take a long time to get that. I think he's planning on having it completed in like 12 months or something. So, you know, he's a, he is a, uh, I, uh, I, there's something about him that goes beyond being smart. I'm not really sure what it is. So we know that the whole world will be able to see um, the return of Christ. So it seems to me that everything is really I mean, we can say it's rampant, you know, it's really moving quickly, but as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And that should be an excitement to us. And as the younger you are versus the older you are, I am. Ex I was excited when I was 20s and 30s. I'm really excited now because I'm 69. I'm more excited now than I was. Um and it's a, uh, it's just as in the days that we are in. And we know the, the scripture, but uh, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There is a, there's a, we have spoken about uh, life dimensions. Uh, we know for a fact that there's different dimensions we uh, we read two, where a piece of paper is two-dimensional. When we see each other, it's three-dimensional. We call four-dimensional when you add the time, uh, the dimension of time in there with it. Then we know that uh, eternity is out. It includes time, but it's outside time. And so we don't know really how many dimensions that is. It's supposedly 10 to 11 dimensions now and uh, of what's considered uh, to be uh, dimensional viewing. So we, when we, we talk about heaven and we talk about these things, talk about dimensions, um, we know that things are so 
changing, but yet things are, are closer than we think. And dimensionally, it, 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 is, it is very close. If you, if you took a, a glass tube or a plexiglass tube, say made out of a clear, let's say about a, about a four-inch tube, about uh, three or three feet tall or whatever, and you had, you can imagine tubes inside of tubes inside of tubes inside of tubes inside of tubes. And you know how it is when you look into a mirror, not just the reflection, reflection, or you take two mirrors and you look into them, what happens? It's like it never ends. And so if you take that tube and you just start pulling it out and, and shooting it up into the heavenlies, it can go along, it's just according to how many tubes you've got and how thin they are that they compact. But when you bring all those tubes down in time, that last tube is actually just about an inch away from the first tube. That, does, it, does that example make any sense? And so when they're collapsed together, tube inside a tube inside of a tube, then it's, it's not that far from the first tube to the last tube. If you extend them, it's a long way to the last tube. And so when you see dimensions, you collapse it, and, and you got all the tubes inside of tubes, and so, but it's, they're not that far away. And that's the way dimensions work. They're not, they're not really as far away as you might think. And so we think of heaven, we think of hell, we think of the, the spirit world, the demonic world, and of heaven. Since we are to be a people of the spirit, you're living more in a time that the tubes are collapsed instead of extended if you can hear what I'm saying. And that's what happens when we're moving in the times of the Spirit, uh, that we start, that these things become close. They, they, the more we walk in the Spirit, the closer eternity is. Uh, the more, but anyway, so I think you get what I'm saying there. Now keep that in mind as we, as we move forward here. Now I wanted to always put this in here. Our job is to share God's message of life, hope, and truth to the fallen world. That's our job description. We're never to leave from that. We study eschatology or end times, and we study all of this stuff uh, to try to sort of see where we are uh, in time, but we can't leave our job description. This is our main focus. Our main purpose is our job description. That's got to stay uh, number one. Now we see, and I uh, mentioned last few weeks, there'll be a as in the days of Noah, it speaks of a flood, it speaks of an ark. Uh, we have taught and seen that the ark uh, of God is of today, as in the days of Noah, is Christ himself. Jesus Christ is our ark. He's our safety. And as we are in the ark of God, we are in a what, what we call a safe zone, if you will. So, for us to venture outside of the ark, uh, um, could I'm not even, well, I, that's another subject. Let me not go there. To, to venture in the days of Noah, the ark is sitting there. The door is open. Noah's preaching. Many were seeing and almost believing because not only did he build an ark, he preached the whole time, preacher of righteousness. Not only did he do that and he was preaching, there were people listening. So I wonder, could it be that many were almost persuaded to go in the door and then the door shut? So there's a lot of things in our life and in the spirit we can almost be persuaded and there is a, it's his pride's what holds us back. But what happens is we're almost persuaded and we subconsciously we think, okay, God, if you'll do just a little bit more, I'll be persuaded. Now, when you find yourself there, just understand one thing. It'll never happen. God can never do enough to prove to you that he is. We want God to prove himself that he is. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. Not proven, 
hoped for. It's the evidence of things that are not seen. So faith is something that it, we, God gives us faith to believe it, but we have to exercise this faith to get inside the ark. We have to exercise this faith. And when we find ourselves waiting till God proves himself just one more time so I'll believe, you're going to be left waiting and waiting and waiting because mankind never gets enough truth to believe. In other words, we say, well, if we just had enough miracles or whatever, then people would be persuaded. Well, I think when we have miracles and those things happen, it's proof that God's among us. But if you think that'll persuade a heart because they see enough miracles, it'll never happen. It's not the way it works. It works by faith. So, if we see then that we exercise this gift of faith, then faith, and when we exercise the faith, then God gives us the substance to believe what we had faith for. But if we're waiting in this tug of war with God to prove himself, we'll always be waiting. Not only that, if when he does it, you'll up the ante. Well, just one more. Well, if I could just see this. Or if I could just see that, that we could be. This is a faith ride. It's just what it is. The, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? The faith comes first. And, and, and the, the faith is, how can I say it? Faith, faith is um, so offensive to the human intellect. Can you hear that? Faith is so offensive to the human intellect. Now, I'm not saying we don't need our human intellect. We do, and I need more. But still yet, faith is offensive to it because you can't, you, you can't put it into calculus. You can't calculate it. In other words, you've got to do something. You've heard the term blind faith. You've got to do something that does not really add up. But there's something in your knowing that knows it needs to apply faith. So what happened with Noah, Noah's ark, Noah's preaching righteousness? Everybody's looking for it to add up and to make sense and to follow God does not make human sense. If you try to make it, and we try to do it all the time, so the world will accept it. Well, I hate to, it's just, the world's not going to accept it. Not out of human reasoning. It comes out of faith. So if faith is how we got into this mess with God, is faith the same thing that is to be exercised the next day after we get into this mess of God? Then we start discovering this is day one faith wasn't complete. I got to keep doing the faith thing. So that means I've got to look like an idiot the rest of my life. We, we, find, we find ourselves in this dilemma that it's just like it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And then the Lord will, uh, have you, has the Lord ever told you something in, to do and then you try to explain it to others and they're like, are, are you an idiot? And then the more you say it, the, the more you almost agree with them. Right? It's just like this is... This, what, what's happening here? And the point being, as we began the teaching this morning, the point being, it takes faith to move forward with God. You have to, there's nothing wrong with turning the brain on after the faith supplied. Not a thing wrong with that. But if you're looking for your brain, uh, now listen, your brain can confirm what you had faith for. You can have confirmation. And you're like, boy, I'm glad I faced that one. Look how smart I am, right? Because when we face it, then God brings the understanding of why. And it's, it's a, so the uh, last week at where we ended up was with expectancy. And expectancy, and the reason I'm saying this little introduction is expectancy, expectancy is the proof of real faith is being applied and issued. 
because it creates a tremendous expectancy. I mean, Noah was expecting a flood, right? Again, can you imagine, Noah, there, I said there'll be a day the door shut. Uh, God shuts the door. Noah and his family is the only one that's in there and all these stinking animals. And, and so they're sitting in there and day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, no rain, no water. Day six, they were in there seven days before it even started. Now, do you think they second-guessed themselves? Probably second-guessed themselves a whole lot. But there's one thing that sustained their faith. And what sustained them was God shut the door. God was the one that shut the door. When God, they didn't shut the door. It's too big. God shut the door and sealed it, the Bible says. And so God shut the door. He sealed the door. Then they all sat down waiting for it to rain. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. But yet their faith was to build the boat. And their faith was to build the boat. God then shut the door then they had something that sustained their faith was a proof that God moved on their behalf. He shut the door. Now, we're sitting in here today. Now, believe it or not, when you got born again, God shut the door on you going back to your previous life. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not. We have sometimes these vain thoughts of, well, I can always... Go back. <laughs> no, you can't. It, it doesn't work that way. You think maybe you can go back. You can't even go back. It's because you've come into the ark. God has shut the door. And so any ideas of even going back and trying to relive some what you thought was joyous times, it won't work. I can just save you a lot of trouble. It just won't work. Why? Because God's given you a sign, and that sign is He's closed the door. And so as we're waiting on the movement of God, we can take great, we can rejoice and feel very, you see, what happens when God shuts the door, it brings a feeling of safety. Noah and his family felt safe because God had shut the door. So there'll be a day that the ark is shut, that the doors are shut. And it's in Genesis 6, 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, uh, for that he is also flesh. I got into that flesh part a little bit last week with our new body. I'll maybe, I think I left a slide or two in there just to bring us back into that thought. He said, for, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now this is in First Thessalonians. You know it well. I've I've done it. it. says, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. I went over the marriage ceremony and the shout and, and uh, said the voice of the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which, which are alive and remain shall be called up together um, uh, meet, to meet him in the clouds and to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, these words... As we see everything going on around us, we need to, we're to be comfort. That's comforting to me, to know that the Lord uh, is coming back after us. Now, I'm going to throw something in here. I'm not going to teach it. I'm just going to throw it in so you can get the idea. It says, uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, there's a good chance he's speaking about New Testament saints here. And there's a, there's a reading, there's, there's some other scriptures in Daniel that, that there'll be another resurrection that probably is when the Old Testament saints are, are raised up in a type of a rapture. There's another rapture that's kind of hidden in Daniel, but you can see it. And the, the only reason, I, I'm not trying to complicate it, but I am saying the dead in Christ arise first. It's a, this is kind of a New Testament revelation of the, of the uh, catching away I spoke at a church uh, Friday night uh, that most there had never even heard of being called up. Uh, so a lot of them had, but didn't believe 
that it was that relevant. And so I just spoke on the, how, how this event is, is a huge event. There's a lot goes on with, about being caught up. Is, is it, uh, it's more revealed in New Testament, not Old Testament. There is one there, but it's probably of the more of, of Old Testament uh, uh, um, saints and glorified bodies. It, it's, see, like if we, if we die today, we go to meet, to leave this body is to be present with the Lord. But we haven't got the glorified body yet, and we know we get the glorified body at the catching away uh, of the church. We know when Jesus uh, died, he went down to, to uh, Hades, it says, uh, to paradise. And the, the Old Testament saints were then in kind of in a holding pattern, if you will, in paradise. And Jesus went down, and he got them, and he took them uh, on to be with him. But anyway, I'm getting totally sidetracked here. Let me keep going here. Uh, now, and then I went into this uh, word, rapimur, uh, is a Latin uh, passive meaning, we shall be carried away or we shall be uh, s snatched up. There was the uh, uh, Latin verse here is English, we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them. There's uh, the rapture word, which I'm actually, I'm uh, in these days I'm not even using the word rapture much. But the point being, a lot of people say, well, it's not in the Bible. Well, it, well, it kind of is in the Bible. It's, it's uh, in the Latin Vulgate uh, where a lot of your translations come from is there. So uh, why being called up uh, is a problem. I went over this last week. I've got to do it just a little bit again so we can get to where we're going. Why being called up uh, is a problem. We are saved, but in uh, flesh and blood, First Corinthians. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doeth corruption inherit corruption. And he goes into, there must be a time and a place of transition. Now what... What I'm wanting you to see is you read the writings of Paul. Paul is always referring to, to Thessalonians. He's always referring to being called up. He says, when you see the Lord and, and we're waiting upon the Lord. And he uses all of this terminology in his writings. We just kind of read it and go over it, not realizing he's referring to that time that you're called up. That's what uh, uh, Paul's referring to. He's referring to that these words are comforting and he's always using that phrase. Um, because he says, I show you a mystery. Apostle Paul says this. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, corruptible, incorruption, that's flesh, shall put on the glorified body, and this mortal shall have put on immortality. See, that's the transition there. We've left this body. We're going to put on this new body. Then shall be brought to pass as saying that uh, written death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And what he's saying here is, uh, you're, you've heard the terminology, you're, you're, you are born again, your spirit's born again, you are being born again, which is your soul is now being born again, and you will be born again when you get your new body. In other words, when we get our new glorified body is the completion of being born again. So if you, if you feel like you're in the birth canal, it's because you are. Okay, You're, we're right in this place that our soul, spirit's born again, soul's being born again. Boy, this is a, a tough, uh, rough childbirth, isn't it? And, and then we will be born again in the completion of our new body. Now, he goes on to say we must be like him to see him. Now, this, is, uh, this starts getting into to dimensional uh, understanding. We must be like him to see him. He's talking about immortality. We, and we lay off corruption, put on incorruptible, we're putting on this new body. So what he's saying is, we must be transformed, and the total fulfillment of transformed is when we get a new body. But he also says when we're transformed, or in that day that we're called up and we get these new bodies, our last part of being born again, when that happens, he says, we're going to see him as he really is. So now if you can handle this, we partially see him right now. There's more of Christ to be seen than we're seeing. Isn't that amazing? We feel like we see Christ, but there's more to see than we're seeing. When we get these new bodies, we'll be able to see in the spirit world much better than we can now. It's because our seeing uh, changes. It says in 1 John, Beloved, now 
are we the sons of God, and it doeth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's, there again, the caught up experience during this time is, is, uh, is absolutely huge. Now, I'm concentrating on the called up time in this part of, as in the days of Noah. Um, we're just, you know, when you're, I imagine when Trevor went to college and he took a course on bones, he probably took it and came out of there and thought, well, the medicine's all about doing bones. And then he probably did it on blood vessels and he probably come out, well, everything about medicines is, is blood vessels, you know. Well, well right now, I'm doing uh, the being caught up, and it's going to seem like, well, is there, Alan, you saying everything's about being caught up? No, I'm just saying we're studying being caught up right now. So, so that makes it look like I'm saying that the whole body is about being caught up. No, I'm not saying that. But it just so happens we got to take this thing apart a little bit, and we got to study um, each part of this uh, body of Christ so we can see how it's put together. So... Don't think I'm trying to take it further than I am. I'm just trying to get more specific as we go. We must be like him to see him. Now in 2 Corinthians, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan and earnestly desire to be clothed upon uh, with our house, which is from heaven. If so, that being clothed, uh, we shall not be uh, found naked. So we see that Paul here, he's referring back to that being called up. He's saying he longs for that day. He longs for it so much he's groaning about it, wanting to, to see that day that he'll be uh, clothed upon. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to build a house or I'm going to build a room. And then as the groom comes back, it lets us know that, that the room's completed. And I want you to see that's uh, really bad. Uh, I taught you about the wedding feast and the groom. The groom's gone away to build a house. Well, when he, comes, when he comes back, not only is he coming back for his bride, but he's coming back for the bride that has a new house. Do you see that? And so when he comes back, not only is he coming after the bride, but he's going to put the bride in a new house. So that's, that's how we know that this, this situation is the timing of the new body, of, of our new covering, of our, of our new cloak, if you will. Now, it just so happens that's not just to make us look good. It's because of our purpose. We're going to need a new house. Last week I taught you, you'll have to go back there to get this, but last week I taught you how the angels that came out of heaven, they took off that house and they came down just as total spirit. They left their first abode. They left their first tabernacle. They took it off laid it down. So they took off what we're waiting to put on. Because we got to have it if we're going to go into the heavenlies. Somebody. We got to have it to be able to go into the heavenlies. And then we got to have it so we can come back with him in the second coming. You see, no oh, mercy, it's so huge. It's just, it's just so huge. Uh, and all of a sudden my brain starts firing different. I'm like, no, Alan. No, well, stay stay in a direction here. Uh, so I just wanted to just wanted to just to mention that so we can move on. The pride prepared for the intimate return of the groom. Imminent uh, uh, means uh, no, uh, nothing needs to precede his coming. Now, as we're seeing this, I don't know when I got my notes. Believers were taught to expect the Savior from heaven at any moment. Now that expectation, that expecting, believers were taught the Apostle Paul constantly said, referred, remember, remember, remember. When you see the Savior, when the Lord's coming again, remember, remember. So part of our normal DNA is we're sitting here and terrible things are going on on the earth and yada, 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 and I got to go to work Monday and I got yada, 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 yada. But we got to remember, our, the greatest thing that should be on my mind is this return of Christ and I'm going to get my new body. Now listen, folks, when we get this new body, you're going to think you're like, what was that old cartoon, the Jetsons or something? You're, listen, you're going to have the ability to, to Jetson uh, everywhere the Lord needs you to go. Are, are you with me? And that's of, of necessity. Now, 
he said believers were taught to expect. Now, that little phrase is so big. The Savior from heaven at any moment. So if we were all sitting here expecting that the Savior could come right now at any moment, would that change any of our behavior? Would, would our expectancy... People want to have more joy. Well, how do you get more joy? Expectancy. It's the expectancy of the reality of the truth of His coming to, to catch us up, to catch us away. It's what equals true spiritual joy. Now, Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our conversation is where? Is in heaven. From whence we also we look for the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we can start having conversations with Christ now, even before we get our new bodies. That's incredible. I, uh, I don't know why in prayer I'm always asking the Lord, and He keeps telling me different things, and I keep asking, I keep asking, Lord, really, Lord, why, why do we pray? Uh, Lord, you tell us to pray, but Lord, come on, you know, what are we, and I'm constantly saying this in, in prayer, and um, he's constantly not responding until this past week. <laughs> and, and, and what he said, he said, he said, Alan, it's a two-way conversation. That's all he said. It's a two-way conversation. And then all of a sudden, uh, like on Wednesday nights, we do a chronicle the Lord showed me years ago. And we sit in here and we hear from the Lord and write down words and make a chronicle and utters. And that's the two-way conversation. I'm like, duh. Right? That's what the chronicle about is about. That's what we're having a two. We are saying what the Lord's saying. We're praying. The Lord's praying, speaking back. We write it on up here and we make a chronicle out of it. Uh, and, of course, I was, I was always concentrating on it. Uh, I know that seems elementary to you, but at the time it wasn't to me. I don't know why. Now it does. I'm like, duh. It's, it's like well, I, could, I could even say that I knew that, uh, except I didn't. Uh, it was in my mind maybe, but I hadn't connected the dots. And, and so the Lord said, Alan, it's, it's a two-way conversation. And, so I, and I knew that. Somehow I kind of knew that. But for some reason, it took on an, another dimension of, oh, I know that. Right? So it's, it is a, it's a two-way conversation. And I was, uh, I was then, I was feeling like the best way to have a, for the Lord to speak to us is through His Word. And He'll speak to us in His Word and use His Word. And uh, so prayer is, is more than just us uh, saying the prayer. Um, I guess half of prayer is listening, isn't it? Yeah, perhaps half her prayer is, is, is listening. And then I went into these other scriptures with the Lord and, you know, he says, pray without ceasing and, and all of this. And so then he's, then, then all of a sudden pray, uh, pray without ceasing. How, how, how are we going to do this? God to pray without ceasing. And all of a sudden I said, he says, uh, let your conversation is in heaven. Come on now. I said, Oh, I'm Okay. Praying without ceasing is having a constant conversation with heaven. That's what it is. It's having a constant conversation. And to have a conversation, it's a, it's a two-way street. God speaks. So, so I, I always felt like God didn't really speak that much. I, I got a feeling as I just don't hear that much. I got a feeling God perhaps is speaking. I mean, I, I'm like, I get a little confused how God can speak to all these his people on the earth at the same time. It's like to me, he'd get, he'd get, he'd get messed up in who he's talking to, right? <laughs> but I guess there we have to use a little faith. Okay. Our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So as we're constantly going through the day having this conversation in heaven, our conversations back and forth, my conversations need to be more in heaven than on the earth, I would think. Uh, get my face out of my phone a little bit and have conversations with God. And he says, also look for the Savior. There he goes again. So I want you to see Paul's always referring back to this event. Titus 2.13, look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. There he is again. He's always 
referring back to in his writings, and as you pick this up, you'll notice it. You're like, boy, you know, Paul let up a little bit. We're getting it. We're getting it, you know. And um, believers were taught to expect the Savior from heaven at any moment. Now, Hebrews 9, 28, it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear. You see that? Uh, and to them that look for him shall he appear the second time uh, without uh, sin unto salvation. So this almost indicates that he only appears to those that he's looking for. That's looking for him. You see that? Now, now let me see. I'm going to assume that if you're one of his, that you, in your heart of hearts, you're looking for him. I want to assume that. So, uh, on, on the, on, on the, to make a broad statement out of this, to narrow the statement down, if you're not one of his, I know you're not going to see him when he comes for his church. So, right here, everybody's not going to see him. When he comes at the called up time, to, to when the groom comes for his bride, uh, uh, the only ones that are going to see him are those that are of the marriage party and are in the wedding. They're the only ones going to see him. If you're if you're if you're not in if you're not part of that bride and and this party, you're not going to see him. Non-believers will not see him at the time of being called up. Now, that's kind of a big deal because it's the second coming of Christ, the whole world's going to see it. So we know that it's got to be two events because of this. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So there we see the terminology of, of the wrath to come. The Apostle Paul's the one that uh, uses this a lot. And so we see that... Uh, yeah, and I think I said it a few weeks ago when, uh, uh, when Jesus, when, when the groom comes after, in other words, he's the groom, they have a betrothal and he pays uh, so much money to the father of the bride and we went over all that. And so then the groom, he goes away to build this room and then he says he comes back. And then there's a, there's a, uh, a big part. I mean, the, he comes back to get her. And there again, it says, now, I, I said this. I, I heard a preacher say it before, but I just can't make it work that when Jesus comes after his bride, he's going to say, okay, now I'm going to beat you for seven years. And after we get done with that seven-year beating, then we're going to go have supper. We're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. For some reason that just doesn't fit. You know, it it, it just doesn't work. It, and and one thing about symbols in the Bible, you can run them all the way out. They'll always work if you're interpreting it correctly. You don't you can't change the symbols. You go with the symbols. They tell you the truth. And so here he says to wait for a son from heaven who raised uh, uh, from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So what he's speaking about is Jesus is going to come. He's going to catch the his, he's going to get his bride he's going to take his uh, he's going to give the bride their their new body at that point in time they will be spotless without wrinkle they'll be perfect can you hear me somebody then he's going to take us back with him for the marriage supper of the lamb yeah thank you very much and, and, and so as, that, as, as that's going on, he's getting us also ready then to come back with him. He says we will we'll rule and reign with him. Now, now let's move on in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us do what? Watch and be sober. So here we see that you start getting into this terminology of watch. He says to watch, be a watcher, uh, to, to, to be a watcher. Now, expectancy is a spiritual key that unlocks. Now, I mentioned that last week, that expectancy is the issue. If we come in here today, what's supposed to motivate us, the spiritual understanding that girds us in here is, is our expectancy that he could come at any moment. The groom could come at any moment. We're the bride of Christ. Or do you, you agree with that? So our, the groom can come for the bride of Christ at totally any moment. That's supposed to fire our rockets that's supposed to jack us up about three feet, all right? That's, supposed, that's our expectancy. 
So as we come in here with that expectancy, everything that the groom has is what we're expecting of. It's the expectancy of the groom among us. Now, uh, that gets me on to go another way. Okay. New Testament believers were to live their lives with a moment-by-moment expectancy of seeing the Lord in the clouds. This is called mystery in the Scriptures, 1 Thessalonians, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So this, Paul was telling people to live their lives in a moment-by-moment expectancy. Can you hear that? Now, a lot of people say to me, Alan, I can't find God. I can't find the path of God. I, I can't hear God. The, the problem, and here's the problem. The problem, you got to fix your expectancy first. Can anybody hear that? You've got to fix your expectancy first. You, uh, I've taught prophetic classes before. Per, the pre, prophetic works backwards. It's a language that works, that, that, that works backwards. Your expectancy of His coming is the, is the end of you here as um, a mortal. So we're going to work it backwards. So you're, you're expecting His coming, and that expectancy is where the anointing comes from to get what, what's coming the next day. Now, just watch it. Paul knew that, and he was trying to show him. If there are preceding conditions to seeing Him come in the clouds, then you are leaving the order of Scripture. In other words, you know, there, there are different things that have to, happen, have to happen for the second coming of Christ. That's true. It's written in Scripture, it's prophecy, it's plain as the nose on your face. But to the catching away, there is none. Now, I look at, 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 the, at the, uh, what has to happen before the second coming. That's what we're looking at. It's in the days of Noah. We're looking at all these things happening. When they rush and, and, and some, it'll take over some other territory, and they'll come down, and, and they'll, see, they'll come against Jerusalem. We know all that. But the bridegroom coming for the bride, there is nothing. You got that. So there's no preceding conditions that need to happen before he comes after uh, us. There are preceding conditions to the second coming of Christ, such as seven-year tribulation and so on. It's, it's talked about, see, the church, I've got up there a mystery, and then i got prophecy at the bottom in parentheses. The mystery is a secret. Listen, Satan does not know when the bridegroom uh, is coming after the bride. Satan doesn't know. Totally clueless. He has no idea. No idea. So our expectancy is us holding up our end of the bargain. In other words, can you imagine the bride waiting on the groom to come? She prepared herself. She set herself aside, and she was excited about the day uh, that he would come after her. And I'm just saying, when I see that, and I know what I just told you the truth, and when I see my own personal excitement level, I'm like, am I even saved? You know what I'm saying? Am I even saved? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not as... I'm not, uh, that excited, and then, then, then I tell you, uh, here's a true litmus test: get around somebody that is excited, and they tick you off. <laughs> anybody ever done that one? Huh? Anybody ever done that one? And uh, I'd rather be the ticker as a ticker offer, you know. <laughs> and and so, so what happens is expect, I, and I'm just praying the Holy Ghost will show everybody more in depth on that one, because expectancy is where you apply it to your personal life. It shows you where you really are and where I really am. And it shows me if, I have, if I'm growing cold, if I'm lukewarm. Uh, it shows me where I am in the scheme of things. And that's a personal uh, uh, exhortation, if you will, or it's a, it's a personal word for us all to see uh, where they are. And when somebody's really excited about it, don't calm them down. Amen. We need them. All right? We need them. Now, uh, now, a New Testament believers were to live their lives with a moment-by-moment expectancy. Oh, I just did two slides the same. I duplicated it. Paul practiced what he preached. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4.15, uh, 
for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, uh, uh, Prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, voice for archangel, trump of God, Christ dead will rise first, and they which are alive uh, remain shall be called up together with them in, in the clouds. Uh, Paul preached that. I had another slide before that one that I must have duplicated the, the long, wrong slide. Uh, but Paul constantly preached uh, about this thing. He also uh, told Timothy this. Uh, in 6.14, uh, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there again, he, he was talking to Timothy. He was, he was, uh, Paul was telling Timothy about what was happening. But my point here is, he said, until the appearing. And, and there again, you can go through Paul's writings and it'll just, it, there it is everywhere. So he tells them to keep it until the appearing. Some were even not working, but just waiting. Now, this, it, Paul got into a little bit of a problem here. He had some people that totally believed Paul, took him at his word. They were waiting to be called up, so they quit working. They just sat down, said, well, we're going to just sit right here until he does it. So the, the, the early church started having a little problem there. Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but as busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with a quietness they work and eat their own bread. What he was addressing there was that some were taking this thing to, to a point of just not working, just sitting around waiting on uh, Christ. And Paul gave him a, a swift uh, rebuke in, in the hinder parts, if you will. And he said, listen, you're busybodies when you're not working. So he tells them, to get to work. He, also, Scripture says, occupy till I come and, and different things like that. Uh, now, here's some, there's kind of problems with those that believe in being called up. There's some other problems that, that I want to hit the problems. I got just two minutes to hit them all, and it would really take two hours, but I'll just use these two minutes. Uh, there's two extremes. Some use it to be a lazy, spiritual person. Uh, some use it to set dates of his return in the clouds. Both of those uh, you'll fail miserably at. Some ask this question, why should we escape that most of the body of Christ has had to endure in the world for the past 2,000 years? So I hear that all the time. Well, Alan, why, why should we get called out and all the world has been persecuted for 2,000 years? That just doesn't seem, you know, really... Uh, too fair. We all know the church was promised persecution. All right, let's look at it. From where does the church get its persecution? From where does the church get its tribulation? I mean, we know that Jesus said it. Uh, we know that we, that was a promise. Well, the persecution tribulation comes from the world and from Satan. So uh, we know that tribulation, persecution against the church, even he says we're going to have it. This is not the great tribulation. You got, you got seven years of tribulation, three and a half years of what we would call the great tribulation. Uh, the great tribulation is the wrath of God. So there's a, there's a difference in getting persecution and tribulation from the world and from Satan, and then there is from God. I've had people say, well, Alan, do you think we're in tribulation? I said, no, you won't. And they say, well, how do you know? I said, because you asked me the question. <laughs> it, it, it's... it's, it's but listen, when the wrath of God hits, you won't say, you will not say, uh, is it here yet? Because when the wrath of God hits, it's going to be much worse than tribulation and persecution from the world and from Satan. Can, can you hear that? So th there's a big difference of, of, of where it comes from. Right now, our persecution comes from the world and, and from Satan. And thank the good Lord in heaven, Jesus, and amen, and goody, goody gumdrops, the bride is waiting on the groom, and he's going to catch us away before that great, terrible day and for that wrath that is to come. I'm just like, this. Just that's where you say PG. Praise God. Now, the church of America will not escape persecution or tribulation. For some reason, in America, we think, well, you know, we're kind of the homeland of the free and the brave, but... Uh, do I think we'll be like the rest of the world and have persecution and, and uh, tribulation? I don't think the church has yet seen uh, the tribulation that probably we're going to come under. Now, I'm not trying to encourage you with those words. Uh, 
Then we have date setters in Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour no man knoweth, no, not the angels uh, which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. So then we got all kinds of, oh, mercy, I'm out of time. So, so we got all kinds of people, you know, there's been all these date people <laughs> said, well, you know, this is going to be, it's going to come here and he's going to come there. We have all of the, so there's two main problems that I'm just hitting right here now. One is it's a lazy Christian. And the other one is a date setter. Those, and that's what, this is what happens on the, uh, the people who embrace the, get, the great catching away is they tend to do those two things. That's just a tendency. And uh, it, it uh, and people have a problem with that. Okay, I've given you a bunch of information, and I hope that the Lord's pleased. Uh, let's stand, Lord Jesus. We love you, and we thank you for this day. And I do ask and pray, O oh God, that these words, uh, uh, that these words that comes out of your word, that we would believe it, we would embrace it, and that we would. Uh, be enlightened, that we would uh, be made truly spiritually joyful. And it's through that uh, being joyful that, uh, that your anointing would come upon those that are waiting on your appearing. Lord Jesus, let this church be the exciting church of the appearing of the Lord. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've sent our way before your appearing. And we know that your spirit is already among us, which is the Holy Spirit. But we know, oh God, that your spirit is here, but we're going to be able to know you as you are fully on that great day that you complete our salvation experience. We get that new body. No pain, no sorrow. So be with us this day, Lord, and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.